Please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 13. We're looking at verses 44 through 58 this morning. And we're talking about finding treasure. And if you're like me, if you've watched the movies like Indiana Jones, National Treasure, Oak Island, Josh Gates, you get excited about trying to maybe find that treasure one day, whether you're out searching for it, or maybe you're just stumbling upon it. I mean, haven't you ever thought, oh, I just wish I could go to the beach and just something just washes up and I don't have to work for the rest of my life. Um, you know, that sounds really, really good. And it's part of the story that we'll see this morning. But I wanted to give us a, an, a beginning before we look at the passage. It comes from Jim Boyce and his commentary. And he says this about the caricature of Calvinism And he says, it imagines a case in which a certain individual will call him George. He does not want to be saved. George loves sin and never looks beyond it. Although he has heard the gospel of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, he has no interest in it, but God has elected this person. So although George does not want to be saved, he is nevertheless dragged by the scruff of his neck into heaven, kicking and screaming, a reluctant convert. On the other hand, a second individual, let's call her Mary, wants to be saved. And every time Mary hears the gospel, she is enraptured by it. And whenever an invitation is given, she is the first one out of her seat. But God has not elected her. She wants to be saved, but she cannot be saved. And God says, Mary, this salvation of mine through Jesus Christ is not for you. It's for others. You must remain where you are. You cannot come to heaven. Now, please understand, God does not disregard or act contrary to the will of any man or woman. And we're going to see that in this passage. So before, this is Boyce ends, before George hated Christ, now he loves him and comes willingly when the gospel is preached. And again, if Mary desires to come, it is not in spite of God's predetermination, but because of it. So I want you to keep this in mind as we come to this passage, because again, some people start to look at this and they start to say, oh, well, we have to um, pay for our salvation or um, God's going to just simply do what he's going to do. And it doesn't matter that there is no such thing as man's free will. So listen very carefully as we look to this passage this morning, Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good in containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, he taught them in the synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? 
They took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, as we come to your word, we need the Holy Spirit to move. And Father, give us truly a grasp of the gospel message that will be presented. Lord, for those who've just simply not understood the value of the gospel message, Lord, may you give them eyes to see and hearts to understand this morning. But for those of us who recognize the value that this is the greatest treasure that we could ever find, Lord, that we wouldn't be tempted to hold it and keep it to ourselves, Lord, but that we would go and tell others of the good news. So, Father, minister to us this morning. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to see, and I'm going to split this up into the kingdom found, the kingdom that sought, and then the net that was dragged. So we're going to look at the treasure, the kingdom that was found, because there's, this is the treasure that was found in a field. Now, it talks about one person in the passage. I'm going to talk about two different people. So the first one is someone who is not seeking the treasure and just happens to stumble upon it, but the treasure becomes unrecognized, the value of it. So there's things, as I was doing the study, trying to look up different things. So probably many of us have had mason jars. Now, you think that that's just an easy thing. It's not that big of a deal. You can still buy some mason jars. But there are mason jars out there from the 1900 to 1910 that have have the um, mason jar written upside down. Now, it's written upside down because at that point in time, not only was it a a jar where you brought and uh, canned things, but it was also seen as a place where you can distribute. So you would actually turn the can upside down. So these mason jars are going for $1,000 a piece. A thousand. Now, how many of us have taken mason jars, and I've never looked to see whether the mason jar name is written correctly or upside down. I don't care. I'm a person who's more like, uh, let's get rid of it. Don't, which is very different than my wife, who's like, let's hold on to everything. I'm like, if we're not using it, let's get rid of it. All it's doing is cluttering up my garage, and we need to get things in here. But maybe I need to take a little bit more time and see if there's something of value. VHS tapes. How many of us have taken those and just thrown them in the garbage or thrown them away? If you have Disney VHS tapes and you have the Diamond Series, those things are going into the $30,000 range. Sometimes we just don't recognize the value. And so it is with the people who come, that come not seeking the treasure, but they stumble upon it, but they don't know what they have. And so these people um, find themselves in the missed opportunity, and they just simply walk away, and they continue in their spiritual poverty. But there's others who find the treasure because they're, again, not seeking the treasure, but when they've stumbled upon it, they recognize it. These are true examples. There was a California couple who, were out, who was out walking their dog on their property. They looked over, they say, saw an old can, just an old rusty can. They proceeded to go over, they picked up the can, and found that it was full of gold coins. They ended up walking a little bit now, uh, more diligently walking on their property, and found three more cans of gold coins. 
Not looking for it, but recognizing the value of even in the midst of old cans. Because remember, there's no banks during this time. You don't have safety deposit boxes. You don't have things like that. So you would go out, you'd bury your treasure into the ground, and you'd leave it there until you came back uh, to dig it up. That's really great until that person passed away. Or the treasure was never found, or they forgot where they hid it. So these people could come, and they could recognize, and they could find it. So then they were able to see that it was of great value. Now, this is the same part of the passage in regards to the kingdom found. Now, again, if you're probably thinking about this in the right way, and if you're a moral person, you're saying, well, that's not really right, that the person came, he found the treasure in somebody else's field, put it back into the ground, and then went and sold everything he had, bought the land so he could take What's a value from the owner? That doesn't sound right, does it? Well, there's actually in Jewish law that as long as you were not in the hire of that person to remove it out of the ground, if you did not remove it out of the ground and it stayed in the ground, then you had every right to go and buy that field because that person didn't have to sell it. And that person probably was not their treasure. There's probably somebody else who put it there. R.C. Sproul tells a a true life example of this. He had an opportunity when he was in Pennsylvania to go with a friend and they bought some land and they bought it. um, Someone was getting a divorce and so they were selling land really cheap. And so they bought these hundred acres for about $200 an acre. And the next day after they bought it, they put it on uh, sale for $400 an acre looking to double their money. Well, what happens, though, is someone came knocking on their door and uh, came and said, we have been tracing a coal, uh, a coal line all the way up from West Virginia, and we think it comes up here. We'd like to do a drilling process, and if that's the case, then you're going to be millionaires. And so they said, yes, come and, and drill on our land by all means. Tell us if, if it's there. And so they came. They put the drilling process in. They drilled down. They hit a little bit of coal. And uh, they were so excited. Then he kept drilling a little bit farther. And he said, oh, we're back to dirt. Sorry. Um, we're, we're not going to buy this. It's all dried up. This isn't what's here. Well, a couple months later... After they had sold the land for $400, they still made a profit, but they found that the company had come back and there was tons of gold, I mean coal, found in the hills where they were. But they wanted to keep the money for themselves, and so they didn't want to buy buy it for top price. So they bought it for $400 an acre instead of giving millions of dollars away. So there's this understanding that, again, you can go out and you can buy this field because you are so determined to have it. Because you understand that it is about uh, of such great value that you have to have it. Now, again, we want to understand that just because they renounce everything and they go out and they buy this field does not mean that they're buying salvation. We're acquiring the treasure. We're saying that this is the gospel message is of such great value that we would give away anything that we have to acquire it. And so this is the first parable. And so it's of this great value that people are only looking for. And so the question for us is how do we apply that? Well, you have the greatest value. And you know what? Do we think about when we go out and we have the opportunity, are we giving this great treasure away? This past week, um, I gave, again, what I would think is the greatest value to my barber. I was getting my hair cut. And he knows I work at a a church. 
And so he starts making these statements. He says, well, it's just good that you have faith in something. And I was like, whoa. It's not just having faith in something. He's like, well, don't you believe that people are basically good? I said, heck no. I said, I think people, every person at the very core are all jerks. I actually said it a little bit more strenuous than that, a little bit more offensively than that. And he was just like, do you really believe that? And I said, yes. I said, that's why we need Jesus. I said, we don't need to be better people. And he's like, you know, I, I think I'm going to think about that. And that was far better than any tip that I've ever given him. And I tip well. But I gave to him a treasure that he wasn't even seeking. Who are we doing that for? Who are we giving this greatest value, this treasure, to? See, again, we're supposed to be preaching the gospel to ourselves. We're supposed to be preaching it to each other. But we're all supposed to be preaching it to the lost. And so people who aren't even knowing that they're, that they're not even looking for something, you are able to give something of the greatest value in the whole world. So go and do and give it away. So that's the first parable. The second parable is the kingdom that is sought. And see, this is where the one's going out, and he's looking for things of value. He's looking for the pearl. And so there's, again, two people, because there's treasure that is sought and then is never found to be the treasure. See, they, the first guy is looking He's seeking for something priceless. It's those people who are found sometimes within the church. It's people who come looking to find something. They know that something's missing in their life, and so they go looking, and they start asking questions. So they become uh, seeking on this quest, a faithful quest. What is the meaning of life? What, what happens? I mean, again, at, my, at the funeral yesterday, one of the things about funerals is it makes us ask the question, what is there at the end? And so as we begin this, this quest, as these people are out on this quest, again, it's the rich young ruler, right? Here is someone who is trying to find salvation. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? Well, you need to go and keep the commandments. And he's so, he's so enamored with himself, he's like, well, that I've done. I get that. I've, I've done all that. And Jesus said, well, then that's real easy. Then just go sell all your riches, give it to the poor, and come follow me. See, it's amazing how God goes to the victory to our hearts and he starts to see the things that we hold in greater value than himself. And again, it could be good things. We find ourselves putting good things in the place of God all the time because most of us, we are leaking, we're satisfied with a cheap imitation. That's why people can be okay with just being moral or spiritual. Just be nice people. That was a lot of what I heard yesterday. Hey, you know, let's just be nice to one another. Hey, let's just be, uh, let's just keep in touch. Let's just be okay. And it's just like, we, we settle for that. And so we, sometimes we find ourselves even finding a false estimation in the midst of just saying a prayer. Or um, we want Jesus, again, for me, is I wanted Jesus as my Savior, but I definitely didn't want him as my Lord. Jesus, I don't want you to mess up my life. I want a little bit of Jesus. But not my whole life. I don't want you to affect everything. 
And so a lot of people are out there, they're searching, they're asking the right questions. and They're coming to you and they're saying, what is the meaning of life? And you say, hey, it means that you have to give everything away to Christ because he gives you everything. And they're like, thanks, but no thanks. Because they're willing to settle for the cheap imitation. But there are others who are truly seeking and find the treasure. Those who are going out there looking for the priceless, and they're again, they're on their faithful quest. These are the people that you find out on the beach with their metal detectors. And they go, and they, with their metal detectors, day after day, day after day, year after year, year after year, because sometime they're not going to um, uh, pull up a, a rusty old can. Someday they're going to find a treasure. And it's true, some of them have. One guy went and he was doing his metal detecting over in England. And what he did is he found the biggest hoard of Roman cords, coins ever found. And he dug a little bit deeper. He ends up digging three feet deep. And it's thousands upon thousands of Roman coins valued over millions and millions of dollars. He's faithful in his quest. And when he finds something of great value, he's willing to give anything to Cabot. This is the person that goes and finds the pearl of great price. He sees the great value in it. And so what he does is after he seeks it out, he finds that it has such great value that he's willing to give it away, to give everything else he had so that he might possess this. And so it's this understanding where every effort to possess the thing that he discovered Jesus tells us very specifically in Matthew 16. He's talking to his disciples and he says, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will a profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? See, that's the question for all of us. What is the thing that we hold so dear and of greatest value that it begins to affect the value that we find in Christ. So you have the person that stumbles upon the great value. You have the person that's seeking great value. But then you have the third parable. And this is the seventh of the kingdom parables. And so every other part of the parables, if you looked and you've seen this as we've been studying, they go in pairs. They're not identical twins, but they are fraternal twins. And so there's different parts of it um, that are saying the same things. But here we find the dragnet. And the dragnet is the net that's put down, and it is inescapable. Now, for those of you who ever used a dragnet, now they're illegal out here, so don't go out and do this in the... In the, um, out in the river or the lagoon or even in the ocean. But back in the day when we didn't care about the environment, um, my uncle used to have a big dragnet. And so he would take us kids when we come down for our vacations and he would take the dragnet out into the ocean and he would spread out this net and then he would drag it in. Um, we would drag it in and uh, pull everything up on shore. 
Now, everything that was in the course of that net, because it had floats on top and it had weights on the bottom, so everything that was in the midst of that net was coming in. It was inescapable. It was thorough. It was not partial. You didn't have a partial fish or anything like that. You're catching the fish or whatever else was going to be in the nets. And it was a permanent catch. So again, they weren't jumping out. They didn't have the opportunity to throw a hook or anything like that. They were a part of the net. And so it was being dragged in. Now, it's also because of this kind of net, it was indiscriminate. Which meant it caught everything. So it would catch both the good fish and the bad fish. And there were times we would bring in little sharks. And there were stingrays. And it was amazing how many things were around your feet that you did not know that were around your feet. And it kind of scared me a little bit of like, I didn't know we were dragging that kind of junk in here and we were walking over top of this stuff. You just didn't know what was there. But everyone, listen, everyone is going to stand judgment. Everyone in this room is going to die. Everyone. And so we're all a part of this indiscriminate understanding that what God is telling us in this parable is that he's dragging the net and everyone's going to be dragged in. And so the net, this parable is for an exhortation to those of us who know Christ, but it's also a warning for those who think that they still have time or they don't need Jesus. It's a warning to those who think, oh, I don't need a Savior. And so the net drags everybody in. It's inescapable. It's indiscriminate. But there is going to become a sorting day. And it says it's going to take both the good and the bad. Now, how do we know what the difference is? It's an issue of the heart. And see, God tells us very clearly that he knows our hearts, but he also knows the day of judgment. And so the exhortation and the warning to people is, is you never know. Uh, We were talking about in the prayer time this morning um, of those people who went to sleep in their condo. Obviously, if they knew their their life was going to end that day, they wouldn't have gone to sleep. They wouldn't have stayed in that condo. But over half of the condo falls, killing how many people? They didn't know. How many of us can be driving home even today? Killed. You don't know the day of the reckoning for you. And we definitely don't know when Jesus is coming back. And so this isn't a thing to keep putting off or to keep putting off. This is a thing you've heard. Listen, you've heard the thing of greatest value today. And he says, there is the day of reckoning. And so God knows our hearts, but there's definitely, he's telling us that there's different endings. And he's very clear in this. For those who go to hell, it is a fiery furnace and weeping and gnashing of teeth. But for those who go to the new heaven and new earth, it's a presence of Christ and it's joy that's unexplicable. I told you, the guy I just laid to rest, he was one of the guys that I've been praying for for years. I don't know where he's at. But when I went, and I hate going back to Cocoa Beach because of the person I was. And they all knew what kind of jerk I was. So it's just like the prophet in his hometown. 
Who are you to tell me about Jesus and being saved? We know what you were like. We know the parties you went to. We know the things that you did. You have no right to tell us anything. It's like, it's right. It's true. But Jesus does. And Jesus is the one who comes and offers. And so I left yesterday putting more people on my prayer list. So many people don't know who he is. You have heard the most valuable thing that can ever be given here on this earth. And the question is, what are you going to do with it? For those who are saved, are you going to go to the lost? Are you going to present to them this valuable gift while they're not even seeking it? Or maybe it's the people. Maybe it's people in your extended family. Maybe people at your office. Maybe people in the neighborhood who are asking questions. You're saying, what's the difference? Are you ready to give an answer of the hope that you found in your life? If you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, are you willing to come and to be discipled and to hear the gospel message and to understand who Christ is? Or do you walk away from here unchanged, still in spiritual poverty? The warning is to us, but so is the exhortation. God is coming back, and Jesus Christ is coming on the war horse this time. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, either willingly or as a conquered foe. The question for us is how do you take and recognize this valuable treasure that's just been given to you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have told us over and over and over and over and over again, and for Lord, for many of us, it becomes routine. Lord, we've heard the gospel message so many times. But Father, we need you to give us eyes to see and a heart to understand the truth of the most valuable thing we can ever be given, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, for those who are trying to earn, earn salvation, Lord Father, may they recognize that you are the only one who came and lived a perfect life that allows you to go to the cross and to pay for our sins. But only that, Lord, you give us your righteousness so that we can stand before the living God. Stand and not grovel because of your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, those who think that they're good and that you owe them, Father, may they see the folly of their sin. Lord, that they would cry out and understand that there is no one who is righteous, no one who does good in and of ourselves, but we have to be found in Christ and in him alone. So Father, as Bill prayed with me earlier today, Lord, we celebrate an Independence Day for a country, but the greatest independence is we celebrate what we have in Jesus Christ. He's the one who has set us free 
from sin and death and the devil. So, Father, truly allow us to grasp the gospel, but, Lord, more than that, Lord, that we would see the world around us and we would give this treasure away so that all might come, all might come to that which is the most glorifying and honoring and the greatest gift that's ever been given, your Son, Jesus Christ. And may we understand this by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen.